Hello, and welcome to another episode of Just Talk with Joe Meyer. I'm your host, Joe Meyer. Thank you for being here with me once again as we kick off another episode. Uh, It's been a couple weeks, so traditionally I like to um, reach out to all of you out there who's listening. And, uh, you know, I I do greatly appreciate um, when you listen. Right, I really do, and uh, it, it's it's kind of like therapy for me, in a sense, when I get to talk about what's on my mind, right? How am I? How I'm feeling? Um, and I don't know. Right now, I'm not feeling too good. In all honesty, I'm really not. Um, I don't like feeling this way, but I'm going to talk about it anyways. And many of you may or may not listen, but I always like to say these words are meant for all of you, but they're particularly meant for my daughter, right? Um, For those of my family who choose to listen, who don't have conversations with me and that's okay I'm not saying they have to I'm not saying they have to call me or text me or see how I'm doing it's nice um, you know I'm used to it by now right you know what? what's Sad to think about, right? And I'll get into that in a moment. But let let me start off with playing my first song here. This song, right? Let me get a little bit more into detail. Um, It's from one of my favorite artists, um, Chris Cornell of Audio Slave, right? And this song is... um, let me see, when was it written here? I'm trying to see. I think it was written in 2003, right? Yep, 2003. And from their 2002 debut album, which I actually had at one point. Um, when when CDs were um, big, right? And I could certainly talk about this 2002, 2003 year. Um right we'll we'll certainly discuss that right um but let me let me start off by playing it first right and hopefully you enjoy it and then i'll talk a little bit about the song itself
you don't know who that is, it's Audio Slave, sung by Chris Cornell. It's called I Am The Highway. And uh, I hear this song quite often um, when I listen to and, and work out. And um, I think about these times when in 2002, 2003, and life was hard. And um, I was graduating high, uh, college around two, June 2002. It was meant to be an exciting time of discovery, of happiness, of the world is my oyster. And it wasn't. Because I was alone. I was alone. I often think about those days and I know we shouldn't live in the past. We shouldn't live in them. And sometimes I do. Because those times are so foundational to who we become in life. Some of you out there may say, well, yeah, those are the hard times that really made me who I am today. They really shaped me for being the man or woman I am today. But in reality, those are the years that really probably started to break and chip me away slowly and slowly and slowly until I broke in 2007. And all I could say is during those points in my life, I did live with my father. I lived in his house. It was a time where I was very much alone. Mom and sister, they were living their own life. And although we'd like to say for many of us that, well, I don't need anybody. I'm fine. I don't need people. I'm doing great on my own. We do need people. We are social beings of people, right? We are social beings. And it's, it's a lie we tell ourselves that when, when we say, we don't need anybody. I'm fine. That's a big lie. It's, it's something that we should stop telling ourselves. There are people out there who need more people more than others. There are people out there who need somebody to support them. Not always financially, but just talk to them. Be there for them. Show them that they're there. And I've always looked for that in my life. And don't get me wrong, I have my wife and my daughter now. But I, I truly believe also I needed people back then. And back then I was 
you know, in early 2002, well, 2002, I was uh, 22 years old, right? So 20, year, 20 years ago, right? It seems like a lifetime, but it's really not. Um, living in my father's house, I had a very much tradition of what I would my life would be like. Yes, I was working. I would go home, sit in front of the tube. Sometimes watch WWF. Then eventually WWE. Close the door, watch TV, watch movies, listen to music. I, I was pretty much on my own. I didn't have a girlfriend back then. I didn't have anybody. My father sat in his room. You know, shut the door. And we lived that way. There was a point where my sister came and lived with us. And a point when she was moving out. Right? And I think that was around 2006 or seven. It was around the time that I ultimately tried to end my life. And... um during those early years of 2000s, I was lost, confused. I, I was pretty much on autopilot in the sense of um, trying to get through my life, right? Going to school, it was hard because I didn't have reliable transportation. I did have a car. I had a few cars, actually. Some of them I actually regret giving up uh, to this day, which the first car I really got was my grandfather left me, or he gave me his uh, 1967 Ford Mustang. V6, it wasn't like a GT or anything, but still. It, it was dented, it was old, it was used, and now it's okay. It was a Mustang. It got me around, but... I had to constantly repair it, constantly. The transmission leaked. Um, the brakes were very sensitive. So what would happen is when I would sometimes slam on the brake, it had like a, a this car particularly, it didn't have, um, it had like almost like anti-lock brakes in a way, air, air, air pump brakes. So what would happen is like if you weren't very careful and let's say you slammed on the brake, it would sometimes the brakes wouldn't go out, but it would break the um, mechanism, and then you would have to take it back to the repair and get it replaced. So it was very sensitive, and the, that costs usually a couple hundred dollars, right, to get repaired. And I did work part time, but I didn't get any help at those points. No one gave me money to help me. No one went out of their way to fix my car essentially for good in a way so that I don't have to be taking it back to the repair shop. Nobody, even my piece of shit grandfather, Raul, the devil incarnate himself, who had lots of money in the bank, couldn't even help me, right? So, and I would never ask him because I don't. I, I didn't want him to always remind me. And, and essentially, he 
would make me want to make me try to do things for him uh, as repayment, right? But he would never let you forget. It would be years down the line when he would say, well, you remember when I helped you with the car? I remember when I helped you do that? I remember when I helped you? Yeah, that's what, that's why no one wanted to come to him because he would throw it in your face. He did it to my mother every day that we lived in his house. Everything that was because of him, you know, it was never out of an act of kindness that like that. It was never like that. Um, and so we never asked him. And so after stupidly, I gave up my car, the Mustang, because I wanted something a little bit newer. Um, so I sold it. I sold it and I sold it for, I don't know how much it was, $1,200 or $1,800. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. And I went and bought another car. I went to a small little lot by my father's house that sold old cars. Bought a, I bought an old Jeep there. I bought an old Chrysler. And one thing after another, it would just break down. Those cars, they never last, right? Um, and that's what it was like constantly when I was going to school. Always on the verge of the car just breaking down. Always taking it to repair shops. Always using every single cent that I had to put towards those cars to get me to school every day. No one helped me. No one. You know, and, and I know some of you may be like, well, I didn't have a car. I didn't have anything to, to get by. I had to take the bus. You know, why are you complaining? You know what? Because we go through life with hardships and these are things that we remember okay uh, there's certain things that will make up for those hardships like a loving family now i'm not saying my mom didn't love me or my dad or sister uh, in all honesty i hope my father loves me he, he's never really told me over the years sometimes but it, it it's not like you know you tell your kids every day that you you you're thankful for them being in your life I never got that impression. Right? My mom tried to. Right? <clears throat> but um it was difficult and um I feel like I've always struggled in this life. I've always tried to get ahead. I've always tried to feel like I matter, especially when it comes to our jobs, my jobs, in companies that I've worked for. And even today, I don't feel very valuable. I don't feel like I'm an important part of anything. Companies tend to want to spin the lie that you are important. Well, you're important, you know, some people are important. You know, I'm just not important. And you get the impression, like, what's the point? What's the point, right? It's always been like that. It's partly my fault. And maybe I shouldn't blame myself, but partly... 
I, I grew up in, in a home that I taught, I was taught nothing about the workforce. I was taught nothing about the mindset of working in America. And I know this is the only place I would ever work or have worked because I'm American, right? I haven't worked in other countries. I don't know what it's like. It, it sounds like in other countries, it's a, it, there's much better, healthier environments that people work in, right? I mean, we, we live in, having worked, having worked mostly all, all in the United States, I don't know what it, what it means to work in Europe or, or another company out there. Maybe they have more appreciation for their workforce than we do here in America. But but honestly, in America, one thing is for sure, right? That we are just people who are meant to be used. We are meant to help companies get rich, right? That That's our role here. We, the worker, are not meant to be rich, so to speak. We are here to help others gain wealth, right? And yeah, they say, oh, well, we couldn't, we, we couldn't have done it without you, the workers, right? Damn well, they couldn't have. But you know what? Are we still appreciated? Not always. Some are. Some are. You know? But it's true. That's why I'm really thinking, you know, of one day striking out on my own, so to speak, right? But it's unfortunate that um, that we're so reliant on making others wealthy, making others successful, making other companies better when we could probably do it for ourselves. But many of us choose not to. Many of us feel that we can't. We, we're not capable of doing that, right? But we are. We just don't want to, many of us just don't want to take the risk. You know? But that's the world we live in. We live in a world where where companies understand that we rely on them. We depend on them. And they can take advantage because they know we have to survive. That's why oftentimes companies do take advantage because they do pay you low wages. They do give you the bare minimum to be okay in this world. Right? Like I said, I'm, I'm not feeling too good because I go to work every day like anybody else. I actually teach too, part-time at night. And um, feeling a sense of like, what's the point sometimes? Because students don't listen to me. They don't listen to the advice I try to give them within my lesson plan, right? I, I know I don't I don't talk politics in the classroom. I don't talk religion. 
I, it's a very, um, it's basically like a life skills class that I teach. And the lessons are already planned out. But I do an infuse or incorporate my own life lessons from the less, into the lesson plan um, on things that I've experienced to kind of help students have better examples, right? The, I go off of slides and some videos and different things like that, right? Um, and some students have been appreciative of telling me that they appreciate my words, they appreciate my teachings. But at the end of the day, does it really make a difference? I don't know or not. Again, I feel like I've um, just struggled. The person I feel that's really kind of been the, the successful one in my family is my sister. I feel like she's been the one who's, and in her eyes, she may not feel like she's done much, but in my eyes, I feel like she's done more than me. She's gotten to points in her life that I've only hoped for. Like, um, you know, being in a management position, guy, leading people. Haven't gotten to that point in my life. Every time I try, I'm, I, I'm rebuffed. I'm, I'm not allowed, right? It's hurtful. I try not to let it bother me. But it does. Right? It certainly does. There are times where I just... Um, yes, I feel that... In all honesty, I feel like I just want to end it all, you know, for myself. And I, yes, I do truly believe some people are better off without me in this world. And that's a hard thing to say because I have a daughter and a wife who I know loves me. You know, and people would say, well, you'd be selfish to do those things, right? And, and in a way that's true, Because I don't want to leave them here to fend for themselves. Although I feel they would be okay. I don't want to drag people down. Right? And I, I tend to do that. I feel I do that sometimes to my wife. I bring her, I bring her down. Right? Because she deserves so much better. Even my daughter deserves a better father than me at times. And, and I, I'm sorry to say, I truly, truly believe that. There's better fathers out there. Better husbands out there. 
you know, and I know it's it seems strange to say that or to hear that, but I, I it's something I believe. And although one would say, "Well, no, Joseph, you're you're a good father. You're you're you're, you're loving," and and I do try to be a better person each day, right? But I don't know if it's enough. Uh, at the end of the day, I don't know if I'm really making an impact where I'm almost irreplaceable. Yes, it's it's hard to lose people if they're not here. And I, I've, what's really got me thinking is death, right? Partly, I think I watch too many of those reality shows in a sense where I watch like The Dead Files and I watch... You know, shows like uh, like uh, um, Ghost Adventures and all those types of shows, right? And they're interesting, you know. They're interesting shows. You know. But I think, especially with Dead Files, thinking about what lurks at night when we're asleep or what, what what's around us, you know? Um, I know that there's a spiritual world that exists. There's a world that exists around us that, that 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 consists of evil, that consists of demons, that consists of of um, of good spirits, bad spirits, people who are trapped on this earth spiritually, who can't leave or can't move on, right? And oftentimes, when I watch these shows. Um, you know, you, you, they talk about hauntings. They talk about people who are stuck. People who are, sometimes they're forced. Um, to stay in their, in, in wherever they're dwelling, you know, because they're not allowed to leave. Right. And oftentimes those spirits haunt people, do things to people. And oftentimes it's, yes, it's, it's evil spirits too, demons who make people sick. I know there was a spiritual world because I really truly believe when I lived in my father's house, there was something, some evil entity that lived there with us. It, it didn't really necessarily affect my father in a way. It didn't make him want to do things. I think it did blind him in a sense, not literally, of wanting to see what was around. Or maybe he just didn't want to see what was around. But I had a sense something was there. 
especially when I moved my family in there in around 2014-15 and we moved out around 2018 there was an evil spirit that that would haunt us that would make noises that would do knocks that would scratch us that would bang on the doors that would you would hear whispers you would hear footsteps you'd hear certain things and even when my sister again lived there for a short time she would hear those things as well right you know You know, and I don't know what the history of that house is. I think that house, the well, from what I remember, the house was built in either nineteen twenty three or nineteen eighteen, around that time, right? And uh, who knows who's lived in that house before, right? Who knows? What kind of horrible things took place there? I know there is what's called residual energy that lives there. Negative energy that probably isn't housed for years and decades, right? A, a big part of that negative energy was 2007 from when I was there and I attempted to take my life. There was something there. That didn't necessarily whisper to me and told me like a, a, a an audible voice like, go kill yourself. No, it was like something like you just felt like you weren't in control. Like I just got up. And I remember this day and I was telling my wife this the other day about, you know, it was February 9th, 2007, right? And um, I had went to a job interview that day because I was out of work. And um, I went there. And I remember this day kind of vividly in a way where I, I went to this manufacturing company that I had an interview for, right? And I went there dressed in, you know, my suit and everything ready and I was excited because I was hopeful for a new opportunity. And um, kind of weirdly, I said, I made some type of comment that people looked weird at me on. Like, oh, every you know, something like everybody looks very professional and nice around here. Something like that. I don't remember the exact words. But I went to my interview. And then I got to the very end, right? And then the the people that interviewed me they're like oh well i'm sorry joseph we just don't have any opportunities here for you and i'm like what and i didn't say anything but i was thinking like why did you call me in for an interview if you had no opportunities so that really bothered me and then so after that i left the interview and i went to go get my lunch and there's this place Nearby is a Mexican restaurant that I have been going to for most of my childhood. My family used to always buy food there, and it was uh, the guy's still there today. I don't know if the owner's still living. He was pretty old even back then. I, but uh, I bought me a, a carne asada burrito, right? And you're like, well, <laughs> this is how vivid I remember, right? Um, 
And I took it home, ate my burrito, and then I was just sitting there reflecting, or I don't know what I was doing. And I felt the need to just like go to the garage and something was telling me I needed to just just end it, just end my life. So I went to the garage and found some old rope, right? And back there in the backyard, there was... Um, there was like this huge, this large pole, right? And what that pole was used for is that my grandfather used to have a huge punching bag, right? And there, there's no other punching bag, the, but, but the pole, you know, like those poles that we essentially put in, put up, right? Um, I, I tied a rope around it, right? And got a ladder, right? And got up there and proceeded to put the rope around my neck, right? And um, at that exact moment, My sister suddenly came home for some reason. I, I'm not sure why, um, but she came home. She came around the corner. I looked at her. I looked at her. And I jumped. Now, some of you may say, well, why would you do that? She, she was there. It's because I was, I didn't care. I didn't care anymore. And the next thing what happened is that um, I, I felt like myself in the air because I was, I, you know, I was hanging, right? And um, and then suddenly I, I, I was feeling the sense of blacking out, right? And eventually, I felt like myself on, and then I, and then suddenly, I was on the floor. Right, I was on the floor. Um, because my sister had somehow she had got me down. Right, she said she she had used a a, a great deal of strength. To, she said, I think she said she lifted me up. Um. And then my body fell to the ground, and she was thankful that that happened. And uh, and then after I could hear her scream and everything and panic and all that. Um, and then it, it felt like a few minutes, but um, the ambulance came, right? And then the medics came, right? And then suddenly they started to take me away um, in the ambulance. And then they took me to uh, Martin Luther King Hospital 
where I was on a 72 hour hold. And then after that, um, they took me to, um, this place called Penmar, which was like a inpatient care facility, mental hospital, basically. That's really what it was. And I was there for about two weeks. And then they let me out. And then after that, I was assigned to like a psychiatrist where I could get medication and, uh, you know, and work to hopefully rebuild my life again. My neck was completely torn in a sense because the rope, there was rope burn. So it completely tore the skin off my neck. And, I, and it's gone now. Like I don't see a reminder of that. But I was, um, I think I was, they weighed me at that point. I was around 230 pounds. So I was a very, I was very heavy at that point in my life. So that was probably a contributing factor, right? Um, And, it, and then from there, I went to go start working again. And there were points where even at my sister's work, they were kind enough to want to offer me an opportunity as like a teller position. But before that could happen, I had to move in back with my mother and the devil incarnate to the old house. And because my mom wanted to watch over me and make sure I was getting the care I needed. Right. Um, but I knew deep down I was, although I know my mom meant well, because that's what mothers or fathers are supposed to do. It wasn't the place I needed to be. Right. Because I already lived that life. I already knew what was going to happen. Right. I went to school, finished my my graduate degree, because that's right at that time in my life. I was actually trying to work on my graduate studies in business. That was kind of my motivation to push me forward. I did graduate, of course, on time. And... You could say the rest is history in a sense because I went to work. Eventually, I met my wife, Delia. She was my lifesaver, or she is my lifesaver even today because she's my support system along with my daughter. And I don't know where I'll be without them. But even today, I, I, I just don't feel worthy today. And it's sad that I feel that way. Sometimes I equate a lot of my self-worth to my job, although I'm not tied to my job. I'm not like, oh, this is the only place I've ever wanted to be. And this is where uh, this is the best place to work. And it's, it's not like that with me. It's never been like that without work. It's always been about a means to an end to support myself. 
but have always at the same time wanted more. Wanted to feel like a bigger part of the organization, right? Never gotten that. Even today, right? Even today. And it hurts. It hurts to think about that. Because I know my comments would probably hurt my my wife and my daughter. And it's not meant to hurt them. <sighs> Let me see. Let's play that next song. There is one new song, another song that I want to play here for you guys. And it's one that, you know what, prior to listening, I've never heard them before until recently. And when I was, like I said, I listened to like hard rock from the 90s and 2000s. It's called Turbo on Sirius XM. But this is Mundane, I think that's what they're called. It's called Happy. And this song really like, I don't know why it resonates with me, but listen to it and let me know what you think.
And I don't expect you guys to know the lyrics or listen to them. Mudvayne, Happy, definitely look them up. But really, it says, based on what I could read online, it's about songs about someone tearing you away from your life and leaving you with nothing in return. Right? And how, how often have we all been there at one point, right? You know, are you happy now? Is the question that we I ask myself every day. Am I happy today? Am I going to be happy? Um, it, it, it conflicts in a sense with my Christian beliefs in a way because because God says, you know what? You, you, we need to not focus on this world. We need to not focus on being happy in a sense, right? Should we all strive for happiness in our life? Yes, but happiness is temporary, right? Having joy in every day, good or bad things, or not necessarily bad, but hardships, adversity, we can have joy in those moments, right? We certainly can, right? And, um, Everybody can. But it's a mindset. It's a mindset, right? I mean, the one thing I'm, I'm, I'm just not happy about as well is our world, our economy, our, our country. I, I see every day, and, and I ask myself, are... Uh, should we hate people? Should we hate our fellow man and woman? And, and Jesus would say, no, don't hate them. Don't, you should never hate anybody. But you know, it, it's not easy when you look online, when you look on TV and you see these Trump followers, you know, and again, I'm, I'm not a, uh, I don't get political here, but you see these people doing the, 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 the Heil Hitler salute, and you may say, oh, they weren't doing that. They were just sticking a finger in the air. Could mean the same thing. Could mean their loyalty, their fealty to a man, right? And, and many of these people say, well, I love Jesus. I love God. Are these the same people in church today that, that raise their hand to him in fealty because they're, they believe in him so much? They believe in Trump. And I'm not saying I'm, I don't believe in any politician. You know, regardless of how many say, well, yeah, I, I do care about the people. I do care about their needs. No, let me tell you, maybe they do. But oftentimes they care about themselves. They care about their own well-being. They care about their own paycheck, their own way of surviving, whether they want to become a millionaire, whether they want to live in a nice mansion. You know, I'm sorry, but they care. You look at people, even our own vice president and president as well. Biden and Kamala, they're multimillionaires. What do they care about somebody who is not a multimillionaire? You may say, well, they're fighting for everybody. Uh, maybe not. Maybe they're just fighting for themselves. You know, uh, Biden's had his career. He's had a pretty fantastic career, if I don't say so myself. Kamala is the same. You know, it's 
So give me a break. All right. You know, we are steps away from losing our democracy, and I'm not trying to be over dramatic here, but we are steps away from our, uh, uh, you know, dictatorship in this country, you know, and because there are people who will allow it. There are people that say, I, you know, support the Constitution, you know. There are people out there who say that, but they don't mean it. You know, they could care less. They're just in it for themselves, right? So it makes leads me to believe, why do I care so much about people? Why? Why do I care so much about doing the right thing in this world? Huh? Really? Why not lie, cheat, and steal? Because it seems in this country you can get away with it and you'll be fine. Because we've been having world leaders, politicians do that for decades and no one's ever stopped them. We have business leaders that do it every day. Lie, cheat, and steal from people. They're, they're not going anywhere. They're not in prison. Nothing's happening to them. There's no accountability for those people in government and business. So why should I care so much? Oh, because I don't have uh, millions of dollars or billions sitting in the bank to, to hire fancy lawyers? Yeah, that's one reason. Because I don't have anybody who's going to defend me. No one gives a shit if I go to prison or not. Who cares, right? But yeah, they care about if Trump's going to go to prison. Care about if ever anybody else, like people like Biden or Kamala, or although they're never probably going to go to prison, or, or other people, politicians who've done horrible things, they're, they're not going anywhere. Because you know what? Again, I'm sorry. I believe this, that we have different law systems for the rich and the poor. The, the poor, it's easy to put away. It really is quite easy to put poor people away. Because they have no means to defend themselves to the extremes that, that rich people have. The millions of dollars. Or the, the political clout. Or the, 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 the recognition, right? It goes for people in politics and business and entertainment, you know, people like me who have no name, who are nobodies. Yeah, we're easy to put away, right? We're easy to put away, right? These are the things I think about, you know, that really bother me even today. Really bother me. They anger me. They really do. They really do. Well, I think I've talked enough. So let me let, let me end on a good note here because I really want our time together to be quite, quite calm. So let me let me start off here and think about this. In the great words of Chris Cornell, who who's no longer in this world anymore. I mean, he killed himself. I don't know. It could have been accidental. I, I, people say he wasn't suicidal. But who knows? Maybe he was. Nobody was there in his last moments when he hung himself. Right? I mean, yes, his family could easily say, well, no, he was fine. There was nothing wrong with him. 
he, he, but who knows, right? Only he knows. Hopefully, Chris Cornell's in a good place. Hopefully, he's not burning in the in the, in hell somewhere, but he could very well be. You know, I know most people don't want to believe in that, but heaven and hell do exist. I want to thank you for all being here with me on this another Just Talk with Joe Meyer. Have a blessed week and weekend.